we're going to study today. Uh, of course, the musicians do know the, the text that we're going to do, but the Holy Spirit leads in such amazing ways to, to weave together moments of worship. And, and everybody uses their gifts and their, their connection to God, and it's the same God that weaves it all together. And so it's just a wonderful, a wonderful thing. I'm going to ask that you take your Bibles, and we're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, one of the texts that I uh, use most often when someone we love has gone on to be with God, because it's a great reminder of the temporary nature of our existence here, and the permanent nature of our existence with God. I'm not reading, of course, that whole section. We're only going to read uh, 6 through 17. But it puts into, into perspective the, the way that we often live life in this physical, temporary world as though it's the only uh, thing that is. And it, it puts then a limitation on our human existence. Uh, not just in, of course, uh, the Christian life and the deeper life, but just as human beings. Christians who don't live the deeper, I mean, persons who don't live that deeper life are, are in some ways uh, limited in their uh, humanity and in their existence together. So I want to begin by asking you a question that kind of puts it all in perspective. Uh, what does love look like? If you were to answer that question, what does love look like? I suspect you would say something kind of like this. Uh, love is the look in the eyes of my beloved as they experience my love toward them. But of course, as, as soon as you analyze that for just a second, you realize that we're not really describing what love looks like. We're describing what human eyes look like when the person says they feel loved or when love is being expressed to them. Love itself is invisible. And because love cannot be seen, we have to, by some measure, have faith that the one who says they love us or is receiving our love or that there is even love exists. It is something that you cannot see. You can only see the effects of it. Now, I know someone might argue and they say, oh, wait a minute, you know, science has now uh, shown us what love looks like. So we now have MRI scans. And so we could see the brain of a person who claims to be experiencing love and we could see her brain light up. Interestingly, a person who claims to be in love doesn't just light up in one area. They light up in the areas of reward and motivation and emotion and social functioning. And it's true that the longer a person claims to be in love, and so kind of you would think the stronger the love might be, the more the brain does light up. And so in that way you can see it. But then again, I would ask the question, are we really seeing love? Or are we seeing the effects of love in the neurology of our brain? And if we cannot actually see love, then don't we in fact have to take it by faith that there is such a thing as love? In our text today, uh, there's this wonderful statement by Paul in which he says that we live by faith, not by sight. Some would take that to mean that we live by fiction and not by fact, or that we live by wishing and not by reality. But that misunderstands virtually all aspects of the true, deeper human life. 
We live by faith and not by sight in most matters that matter. From love to commitment to compassion to respect to justice to equality to equity. We see the effects when there is no justice. We see the effects when there is no respect. We see the effects when there is justice and when there is respect. But the thing itself, that's lived by faith. I have faith, for example, in Cheryl's commitment to me as my wife. I've seen the effects of that commitment over 40 years as she has lived out a life that would imply there is, in fact, commitment to me. I have faith that my friends and my fellow Christians will treat me with respect and treat me justly and on and on. I have faith or lack of faith in ways that affect my life and my relationship in virtually every deeper way in which human beings share our existence. So that raises the question then that Paul is addressing in this text almost 2,000 years ago. He says, what happens, and this is the implied question, what happens when our ability to have faith is damaged? When we find it difficult or even impossible to trust and have faith in God or faith in others or faith in ourselves? What does a faithless life look like? What are the effects and what can be done to heal that when faith has been struggle for a person? Well, that's what we want to explore today together. Uh, he writes the letter, not coincidentally, to the church in Corinth. Now, Corinth was a, was a seaside, bustling city of sophisticated Greeks who thought they knew uh, more than the rest of the population. And in that place, uh, that sophisticated seaside city, he writes these words. So let's go to the second letter of Paul, and we're going to start with the, sixth, with the fifth chapter and start with the sixth verse. Paul writes, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And then the ministry of reconciliation is what the NIV translators call the next verses. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. 
and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. From now, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Now keep that open before you. Let's pray. Father, as, as physical beings that are bombarded by the senses, it is easy for us to give primacy to those physical experiences. And yet we intuitively know, human beings throughout the world and throughout time have intuitively known that there's more to us. There's more to existence. There's more to reality. We've come today to step into that thin place, the place of your presence, to have a foot in each. And we would ask that as we think through and as we understand each other and as we look at a world that is often imprisoned by their, their limited viewpoint of themselves, that you would uh, give us the wisdom and the persuasion and the love that compels us to communicate the truth. And of course, we do it all to your glory and to your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Living by faith and not by sight. Now that's both a, a natural kind of thing for us as human beings, but it's also a very illusory and elusive thing. The physical, visual world itself imposes itself upon our minds and even then upon our souls every moment of every day. Yet, if we stop and experience life as an artist presents an artwork, as a musician plays a song, as a filmmaker presents this amazing work of art, as the dancer, the writer, as they open our minds and our eyes to see the world in a different way, a deeper way, a more complex way, we begin to recognize that we as human beings are far more than just this momentary sensual experience that we have. And yet, if we don't have some help in opening our eyes to see something we could not have seen without the artist and without the musician, and without the preacher, we feel as though we've only begun to live when our eyes get opened. And in that moment, we experience a new, new time of life, a new awareness of life, a new awareness of who we are and who God is. So when, when Paul is speaking to us, he's speaking to us in terms of, of people who have lived in a box of limitations of a physical existence and saying, there's more to this existence than this, and I want to explain to you what that more is and how to do it. And so he says to us very directly, he wants to do this so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. Now that's a very interesting phrase. So that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. 
We all know what he means by that. We've all met materialists. They are persons who take pride in dismissing anything that's not material, that can't be measured, that has material existence, that has matter. And they reject then anything that is beyond that, even from the arts itself, but certainly from the spiritual existence. They say if you can't see it and measure it, then it has no material substance, then it does not exist. It is not real. And they would even say to us, those of us who live with both feet, with a foot in each of the material and, and spiritual world, they would say that you're fooled. Uh, you think that there's more to life than what you can see with your eyes, but you are deluding yourself. The word that Paul uses to describe the attitude of taking pride in what they can see is a Greek word that's translated far more often in Scripture as boasting rather than taking pride in, as boasting in. And boasting in, in that context would mean most often, I am better than you because I take pride in what I can see. And if you think there's anything else, then I'm better than you. It's similar, but slightly different than the word Paul uses to describe himself when he wants to give them confidence, a reason to be proud in living a different way than having pride in only what can be seen as he uses the different uh, word, although they are in the same family. And although this word could be translated boasting, it's not often translated that way. It's more confidence. Now, it is that struggle between those of us who live with the eyes to see and the ears to hear more than what the physical eyes and the physical ears see it's that struggle between those who say it is and it is not that is the ancient, ancient struggle. It's something that uh, is the very nature, in fact, of living the human life. Uh, many people live as though uh, they're just an animal in a temporary existence and nothing matters beyond uh, a momentary sensual uh, pleasure or delight. But Paul writes this 2,000 years ago, of course, because this is nothing new to the human condition. The Greeks had discovered it, of course, as all human beings do. And so we need to understand the importance of this worldview, this way of living, this life of God, this deeper new creation that Jesus came to, to make possible. So Paul gives the Corinthians... Some simple, yet they're very profound uh, statements. And I'm just going to read them, let you contemplate. I would encourage you today, perhaps, to meditate on uh, these words and especially uh, what Paul says to us, uh, living in a world that is, is physical. What does it mean to live in a larger world? First, he says, in some very profound way, for us to be bound to these physical bodies means that we are, in some very profound way, away from the Lord. Second, due to that limitation, our response is to make it our goal to please God now in the body and soon we'll be away from the body, knowing that it is what we do now in these bodies, Paul says, that will be the basis of God's commendation for us in the next realm. Third, it is also our task to pers persuade others of the larger spiritual relationship they can have with God. 
as you know, the phrase fear the Lord is better translated worship the Lord or to give worth to the Lord. So since we know what it is to experience and give worth and to worship God and to begin to have that deeper experience of humanity and spirituality, he says that, that we should have the persuasion to open the eyes of others, to help them live in a deeper and larger and eternal way so that they're not imprisoned by their own bodies or imprisoned by this world and its limited temporary experience. We are to open the eyes of faith, opening the eyes and the hearts to deeper reality. Fourth, it is Christ's love in us that compels us to live not for ourselves, but for Christ and for others, to live in that whole picture and not just a limited box of a physical existence, that the world is not all there is and that every person we meet is of eternal worth that they're created for far more than this world and that we want to open their eyes to live in that larger love of God and love of others and love of self in which we're able to experience that true humanity. And then last, that changes everything. We no longer regard any human being then from a worldly point of view. We also no longer look at Christ or his people from a world's perspective. Rather, we're alive in Christ in such a, a, a new way that you could, you could say, you know, I, I wasn't even alive before I could experience God. I didn't really understand before I was given the wisdom of God. I didn't really love until I could love an enemy and I could truly be a new creature in Christ and putting away this living for self and begin to live for God and for others in an eternal reality. Now that that is a very profound reality that we are persuaded and compelled to, to expose and love every person we know so that they can live a, a life that they're destined for and that God created them to experience. And so if that's the truth, then what is it that makes it difficult for some to have faith, for all of us to struggle to some extent, but some have deep difficulty in having faith in God and trust in God? What, what damages them in such a way that, that they need our help and they need to be persuaded and exposed and loved uh, by Christ? Well, I've, I've had, I can't, I could never count them thousands of conversations with people about their faith and, and how some struggle more than others to trust God and to have faith in God and to, to take that step. And it would take a long time to talk about all the different kinds. I'm only going to talk about two different kinds of things that I see uh, often enough that it's a, a, almost a universal, to some extent, uh, inability to have faith. I've known people whose parents were not faithful to them. Sadly, rather than being consistent, wise, thoughtful guardians during their vulnerable years, these parents were perhaps addicted to alcohol or to marijuana or to work or to money or to fame. 
something that in effect, though no one would say it this way, but in effect they are faithful to their addiction rather than being faithful to their children. The effect then on that child as they become an adult is they find it hard to have faith. Uh, hard to have faith in a spouse, uh, faith in a friend, faith in an employer. But most of all, faith in Christ. Even when they want to put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, they struggle. They find it hard uh, to do so. Now the healing, of course, of that inability to have faith comes from the same experience as the damage. If it's the family that damages us, it's the family of God that heals us. If it's the father who abused us or neglected us or misled us, it's a loving pastor or disciple or friend or spouse who brings the Heavenly Father's faithful care to heal us. It's in the family that healing begins to be experienced in a new way with faithful people who have a faithful God. And we begin to heal that deep damage to our, our personality. And as faith then is experienced, eyes then begin to be opened. Hearts begin to be softened. Faithful love begins to be experienced. And the new creation comes. It often comes in, in a, a journey as the old weaknesses are removed and the new strengths are gained as a person increasingly has faith in God and trust in others. Let me give another typical experience that I, I have so often. And this one happens kind of in two ways, but it has the same effect of damaging the ability to have faith. The first is a very simple one, and just as the first one was an unfaithful parent, there are children that grow up in a home where they have experienced no love. Because there was no love, the effect of that was a hardness of heart. Their heart just shrivels as time after time they reach out and try to receive love from a parent that should love unconditionally, yet it's not extended towards them. And so in that deep place, the, the heart just withers and hardens up. And then they become what we often call a, a hard-hearted adult. Their heart just is not accessible. The second comes from a kind of different place, but it's a, it has a similar effect of a hard heart. This is when a person begins to boast in their own intelligence, their own cognitive abilities, their own cognitive structures and logical processes. They begin to develop a concept of self and a concept of life that is limited to their own mind. And the mind then becomes the central focus with which they live life. And the heart is never developed. And therefore, it just kind of withers in a, a state of non-nourishment as the heart of the individual is not developed as the mind is. Committed cognitively then to a materialistic world, then when the heart flutters, perhaps in romance or perhaps in music or in worship, or when it rejoices in art and in nature, 
their mind aggressively, unconsciously chokes out that response. Then they find it hard to have what they describe as faith because they cannot see or feel for their mind has choked out their heart and not given it the vitality of life. Now, as you can see, our responsibility is to persuade such materialists that there is life beyond physical life, that we are created for far more than this world, and that love and justice and compassion and mercy is real and it's true and it's human and it's what makes us who we are created in the image of God. That we cannot allow ourselves to be boxed into some kind of damaged temporary materialistic view of ourselves, an animal view, a hopeless view, a lifeless view. But we must open our lives to the larger reality of who we are. I love the rhythms of the Christian year. I love that we have now entered into ordinary time. I just like that name. From now all the way up till the Sunday before Advent and Christ the King Sunday, we're going to be in ordinary time. I like that it coincides with the academic year in which we have chosen summer, the long days of summer, to be the time when you no longer have to prove yourself and go to school and get more things trained. And even at work, we take time off and we get away. And, and you simply begin to live. You begin to experience life in a, in a relaxed dog days of summer and the long, wonderful light uh, that comes. I love the rhythm of that. I don't think there's anything wrong, of course, with focusing in and the the wonderful seasons of the church and the academic year, but we need rhythm. We need times just simply to be and to be human. I encourage you as we are now entering ordinary time, and we're, this is the first Sunday, I think, after most of the schools are closed, and that we are simply living life and living long and living bright and getting together and meditating and, and being more and taking in more music and more art and more film, more novels, more writing, where we allow ourselves to experience a depth of our humanity and the depth of others' humanity. And we are able to, in fact, live life full and large and, and complete. I encourage you as we start Ordinary Time, we're in the, I think it's the fourth Sunday of Ordinary Time, and as we begin the summer, to take the time to, in fact, open your eyes and open your ears to that which the physical eyes and the physical ears cannot see, to nourish the heart, to enter into the romantic parts, and to experience God in all of his fullness and his love, all of his creative handiwork around us. Let's spend time with him.